really recording? This time I am. We're back! <laughs> it's the needle in the mouse. <laughs> How long has it been? Almost a year. Wow. The last show was October 1st, 2017. Wow. We, we have... We're dedicated. But the was show... Was that the time that, you, that we said we were going to do it once a month? Probably. We committed to doing it once a month? I think so. Eh. We meant to say year. In the in that span, SoundCloud shut down our pro account. Ooh, did you have to get it re? I haven't yet, but I might. All the stuff is still there. It's just not Do you available. Pay for it? Well, I wasn't before, but now I have to. I guess. Oh, ooh. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, it's uh, if you're if you forgot what the show was that you subscribed to over a year ago, or maybe five years ago, or maybe five years ago, it's the needle and the mouse. Who are you? I'm Dan Fromer, here with Lauren Sherman. We talk about three things on this show. <laughs> Blue Bottle, J. Crew, and the Apple Watch. What else is there in life? That is about it. Um, so, of course, today we're going to talk about all those things. Yeah, there might... It's it's interesting, though, because I feel like the my feelings as a consumer about those three things have changed dramatically in the last year awesome um which where should we start awesome (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think so okay it means we'll have a lively discussion yes all right where do you want to start um well maybe we should talk about the the apple watch and the event because you were so as usual as usual we just had Fashion Week and the Apple Watch event because we don't do the podcast any other time. We almost did one a few weeks ago, but then we stopped. I don't we, remember that. But we are okay. recording this on a uh, eight-year-old. Is it really eight years old? Eight-year-old MacBook Air because that's where those, these mics are set up. With it's but, still really nice. Yeah, uh, when it works, still looks nice. Still looks pretty nice. All right. Yeah. So, so you on Tuesday of this past week, you were in Wednesday. On Wednesday, I was in Cupertino at Apple's Apple Park headquarters in the Steve Jobs Theater. So, what does it look like? Does it look like a car park business when you drive up? Is it because I've been to Instagram offices in the Valley? I've been to a lot of kind of campus like offices for bigger corporations in random places all over the country and usually it looks kind of boring you pull up it looks like there are offices you think boring people work at these places does the apple one look like that not at all what's it look like when you drive up well there's no driving up because they shut the street down in front of it so so you get dropped off in your uber mm -hmm. at what's called the apple apple park visitor center Okay. Which that looks, sounds like an amusement park. It's basically an Apple store, one of the nice new Apple stores with like the like beautiful glass walls and then this like top roof thing mm-hmm. with no columns or anything like that. And next door there's like a cafe area for like sitting and hanging out. I think there's a roof patio too, but I didn't go up there. Do you think they have good food? Um Last year they were serving some little like well I'm sure that it's all it's catered in so 
Well, actually, I have no idea. Maybe it's not. Last year they had some little snackies. Can you take a tour of the Apple campus if you're just a person? No, but you can hang out in the visitor center and they have like a 3D model of the whole campus. Wow. Do Um, they have – is there a store there where you can buy stuff? Yeah, including like T-shirts of the Apple store and all that kind of stuff. So So if you were 12, you would have definitely gone there. Yeah. Right. Totally. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, So you go to the – so – You'd get dropped off outside the visitor center, and then the street is is shut down. And then to enter, this is this is not how I don't think this is how employees get to work because I think they drive into the underground parking garage, okay, and then walk or something like that. Um, but if you're going to an event at the Steve Jobs Theater, and this is only the second public event that they've ever had there, I think after last year's mm-hmm. iPhone event. Um, anyway, you walk up this. Uh, you walk up this path and it feels like you're in a park. Like there's trees around you. You can't really see anything until you get a, until you, there's this big clearing. And then in the distance, you can see the big spaceship building, like the main campus. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can't, like the press doesn't get to go over there. Um, you go up this path and there's all these speakers playing like, Nice, or I don't know if they had that this year, but I think last year they had like some speakers playing like nice sounding music mm-hmm. over that thing. And then they have every like 50 feet, they have people on both sides welcoming you, like, hey, thanks for coming. Wow. Hey, you excited? Hey, how you feeling? Hey, all wearing Apple gear. This mm-hmm. is something they've been doing for all their events recently, where like on the path in. They have people like the Do one in Chicago. you think those are people who work in the stores and are really great employees and they bring them out for that? I bet. I bet some of them are, yeah. That's interesting. Or yeah. they hire actors. Could be both, yeah. <laughs> um, so then you get up there and then you start to see the theater building from the distance. And the, the theater building, the, the only thing above ground is a glass circle like a cylinder Mm -hmm. that's i don't know probably like 200 feet in circumference or diameter uh maybe less maybe i don't know i'm sure it's written somewhere maybe 150 feet but it's basically just this glass circle uh i don't have a handy but you could see the picture of it um let me pull up the picture of it but i mean obviously no one listening actually that's not true if you google Steve Jobs Theater, Dan Fromer. You can see my photo essay from last year, where I explain, where I where I show all of this. So everything I'm talking about now. So here's the, ah uh, yes, that's the, like the the view as you walk up this path. Uh huh. Um, and then all you see in there, and there's no columns, and there's this like spaceship like ceiling in there. And then, um, and and before the event, they have. Uh, you can walk all the way around this the the top of the theater, and um, they have coffee set up and breakfast and juices and water and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you go inside and downstairs, and that's where the actual theater is. And it's this crazy – I think Foster and Partners, which did all the architecture for the Apple Park, um, also obviously designed this. They've also been designing a lot of Apple's more recent stores, and there's some – similarities like these big tall glass panels um these staircases with the uh with the with the handle etched into the marble uh really really nice stone walls um 
And mm. like if you've seen the new flagship store in San Francisco or Chicago or I think the not the one in Milan, I don't think. But some of the more recent ones, they all kind of look like this. Um, it's pretty crazy. It's really beautiful. Like it, it's it's a shockingly beautiful building that they only use for the public maybe once a year right now. Uh, and the theater itself is a beautiful theater, like the nicest seating. The sound system and the projector is the craziest you've ever seen, like way – like way movie theater quality. It's pretty cool. Cool. Um, anyway, so that was that was the event. Uh, new iPhones, which we're probably not going to talk much about today, and and a new Apple Watch, which kind of stole the show. Yeah. Why did it steal the show? What, what's so great about it? Well, the one reason is that the new iPhones are not that exciting. Like they're new iPhones, and the iPhone's been out for eleven years now, and. You know, every year they get faster and some years they get bigger and some years they get smaller. And, you know, there's a big one, a medium one and a small one. They're iPhones. They look nice. Yeah. You're going to get one. I'm going to get one because we're on the upgrade program. But there's mm-hmm. nothing that you're going to get this year and, and go, whoa, you know. Yeah. Um, but this this is the fourth edition of the Apple Watch, I think. Series zero, one, two, three. Maybe the fourth time they've updated it. Uh, f- yeah. Anyway, it's called the Series Four, but there was yeah. also a Series Zero. But I think the one and the two came out at the same time. So, yeah. Anyway, um, new Apple Watch. It's called the Series Four, and it's been totally redesigned. It still is like the same overall concept. It's a square or a rectangular thing. Uh, the corners are now curvier and it's a little bigger, but it's thinner. Um, but the screen is now takes up more of what you're looking at, so it like goes more to the edges, and uh, and that means you can put a lot more stuff on it. So mm-hmm. if you look at the new default, it's called the watch face, I guess. That basically the home screen of the watch. There's a lot more stuff on it now, um, so that should be interesting. Like it's becoming. Even less of a watch and even more of a wrist computer. Everything from, you know, using it to launch apps or make phone calls or um, now this year, finally, there's podcast app oh, built into it. That's nice. Um, with the new software update. And then they've been building out basically in three main directions. One is the communication stuff. So the calling and texting and there's going to be a walkie-talkie mode, but that hasn't been activated yet. But that could be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um Exercise and fitness, and they added yoga tracking this year. Oh, they did? Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, we were supposed to watch the keynote video before we did the show. It's okay. Watch it later? Maybe. Okay. Um, <laughs> fitness stuff. And then the third is health. And this is this is where it's starting to get really interesting because um, the new Apple Watch, so it has a different uh, heart rate tracker than before. And it also, for the first time, has these sensors built in that will form a, I guess, an electrical loop and do a, a proper ECG heart signature uh, that you can look at. I mean, obviously, the idea is that you'd share it with your doctor if you need to. Yeah. Um, and like it's going to be doing some proactive monitoring to see if your heart rate is too high or too low. Uh, I think it already does some of that, but and then they did this big heart study with Stanford that was kind of interesting. Um, 
But basically, this is a consumer purchasable FDA approved ECG monitor that's just like another feature of the watch. It's not like it's a single purpose device. It's not like it's something that everybody's going to be using all the time. It's just like, oh, and now it comes with that. So it's interesting. Uh, I think that like like for the people who we'll, we'll see, like this could either be a really useful thing that it's not going to be useful for everybody all the time, but it could be really useful for some people and it could be uh, it, it, more than anything. It's a, just an, it's the start and that's what's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't care. Well, I don't know. Well, here's the question. So Lauren, Lauren's Apple Watch broke um, in a pool, and then I fully broke it by dropping it after I was trying to it dry was it out. It already. I was it's fine. It was water damage, and then I was trying to, to dry it out, and I dropped it. Well, it's just strange, because how long was I wearing it for? Four years. Four years. Three or four years? Three years. Yeah, Three years. every day. Every single day. Three and a half. I feel like I'm I'm one of the biggest proponents of the Apple Watch. I try to convince people to buy them constantly. But I have to say, it takes two weeks to form a habit and two weeks to break a habit. And very quickly, not having it on, I don't really miss it. As I was saying to you, I really miss tracking my steps because I try to do 10,000 a day and it's just harder to keep check on that. But I've been just pulling my phone out and that's been helpful. And in some ways, not having the watch on has made me less stressed with work stuff because I'm getting fewer pings. I don't, you know, get slack pings. I'm not getting updates. I have to be more mindful of my meeting time I can't just rely on the Apple watch to ping me 10 minutes before a meetings over all the reasons I liked the watch are the reasons that I'm enjoying not having one and I just don't know I can't because the thing is like I'm gonna do the workout no matter what do I really need yoga to track the calories Right, and you weren't using the watch to t- to Track start the yoga calories. Well, no, even when you're running, because you use the Nike app on your phone, right? Yeah, I mean the the idea of not having to have a phone when I'm running and having the watch instead, just the watch, is appealing. Right, and now and the reason we couldn't do that last year, even though they had cellular, is because there was no good podcast yeah. support, and now yeah. there will be. And will I need the cellular to do that, or can I get the... Um, you would need it to stream it if you were just streaming a podcast while you were running. And if you wanted all the other stuff, like being able to get a text or, yeah. you know, order an Uber or any yeah, of those, yeah. like, emergency features. But just for the podcast, I'm not sure if it will... You might be able to move shows over to the watch, to, the like, the... In- internal storage i'm not sure i i haven't researched that and that's more appealing to me but and to be honest the other part is it's 300 or 400 dollars which like that you have generously offered to buy me one but to be honest i don't know we're moving into a new house like 
I would almost I, I right now priority wise, I kind of would prefer you to buy me a bag or something. I don't know. It just there's something happening in my life. We should also say that I broke the watch when I was on a meditation retreat. <laughs> so this gives some context of where I am in my life. I also idiotically wore it in the water even though it had a crack. So like all the th- reasons it broke, it seemed like I did it on purpose almost, subconsciously. And maybe not. Maybe not. But it just it just just to give the context of where I am in my life as a human. Yeah. I'm just wondering You're if, looking for ways to remove stressful objects from your life. Yes. And perhaps the thing that keeps you connected all the time, literally tethered to your wrist, is not the most welcome accessory right now. Yes. And that being said, I really miss being able to pay with the watch and having to pull my watch out. And right. Apple Pay is something that we've kind of started using all the time. Yeah. And in New York, less frequently, but when I was in London a bunch last year, you pay, I've used the watch on the subway, the metro there, you just, um, that's how you pay. You just tap the watch and to not have to pull, you know, it's, I don't keep my watch in my pocket. I keep it in my bag. So to have to pull out my, 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 I mean, I don't keep my phone in my pocket. I keep it it in my bag so to have to pull out my phone it's not as big of a deal as pulling out my wallet and unzipping it and getting the metro card out and yada 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 but it's still more work than just tapping my wrist yeah and and also you know anywhere that we use it it's just easier not to have to pull out my phone so there are things about i really like i'm not completely against it there's just something right now that is making me not want one. Well, the good news for that is that even if you want one right now, yeah. it's not it's not in stock. So, <laughs> how long would it take? Uh, several weeks. I mean, we'll see. Like they always say that, and then it's easier to get than it seems. But it's just a, I do miss being able to just see the time. Right. That was the one thing that, and I met the guy Kevin mm-hmm. Lynch who is in charge of the Apple Watch software. Yeah. And I was like, you know, having worn one now for every day for the last three and a half years, really convenient to know what time it is. Yeah, and neither of us were watch people. I was in middle in grade okay. school and middle school I had cool yeah. calculator watches. Yeah, and we both have and Indiglo. We have some cute calculator watches that we bought years ago. Yeah. But now, part of me thinks, should I just get myself a nice watch mm. and wear that? Maybe. And wear the Apple Watch during my and get an Apple Watch for my runs. Yeah. And the other thing you mentioned that I think is really interesting, and you know, the first time we ever talked about Apple Watches, it was about it being a fashion product versus utilitarian, and I'd say both of our feelings were that. The reason Apple is fashion is because it's so utilitarian. And the idea that they were trying to customize it and make it, you know, specific to the person felt a little um, not right for the Apple brand. And it seems like from what you're saying, they've moved away from that customization bit and that making it 
trying to make it feel like something statusy, and instead just making it what Apple makes well, and therefore it has more status. Uh, a li- so it, the 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 one thing that is interesting is they finally discontinued the edition edition, yeah, which started off as the twelve thousand dollar gold and rose gold one, uh-huh. and then became the whatever it was like a. $2,000 ceramic one mm-hmm. for the two years after that. And I just, to be honest, ceramic as a material is just very weird to me. Oh, it looks really nice, though. But it's weird. I know, but it's Like, great. who wants a ceramic I really watch? wanted, I wanted one. I, but okay. I, but the problem with these things, so there was a, there was like, um, people were, people hypothesized that the internal guts of the Apple Watch would be modular so that every year you could just buy a new internal piece uh, and yeah. keep the case and like if you're buying a twelve thousand dollar gold case and you're not a crazy rich person like that seemed like a really interesting concept yeah um but that just didn't that wasn't how it worked so yeah. and you're not gonna you're not most people are not gonna upgrade an apple watch every year but yeah. you know especially by now like if you're still using the a, the earliest apple watch that thing is gonna be really slow yeah it's not gonna have any of the new health features like it's it still works and it'll still track your steps but the battery life's not going to be very good um so you don't want to spend more than a thousand you really don't want to spend more than a few hundred bucks yeah and this year like they've launched this this trade-in program so if you turn in last year's you get 250 dollars back oh that's Um, nice so you're starting to see this thing where especially as becomes more of a computer on your wrist more of a utility it's really like if you go back and watch the initial Apple Watch introduction, there's way, way, way like a crazy amount of time and emphasis put into the luxury aspects of it. And like the Johnny Ive, not even the industrial design, but like the the gorgeousness of it. Yeah. And that's just like not at all what it's about anymore. They realize as it like, should not be, as you said at the beginning. And we we ridiculed them for Um so that's the refreshing thing is they've they're just done with that. There's no more addition. They've gotten rid of the whole like the only the it's interesting. They have two brand partnerships. One is with Nike uh-huh. on a on a fitness focused version of it, which is basically just the cheap sport version of it. They don't even call it the sport version anymore because now that's basically the main version of it, um, which always was in terms of what people were buying. But yeah. you know, there's like custom Nike bands and. Uh, including, I I actually ordered the Nike one this time because oh, nice. they have a they have one of the Velcro bands that has uh, reflective fabric or reflective thread built into it, which could be interesting. Yeah, that's um, cool. Especially if you're walking around at nighttime uh, or running at night. Uh, and the other partnership they have is with Hermes, mm-hmm. um, and both of those you and the Hermes one obviously is more luxury fashion focus like they had these really nice leather bands um the the really smart thing about this year's watch is that even though they redesigned the case all the old bands work with it oh that's great um so this is now like you know and you assume they're going to keep this this iteration of it for at least two years maybe three so Mm -hmm. the first you know six call it six years worth of bands will all be interchangeable really smart um and it's cool. So the customization thing they have not abandoned. Like I think if anything they're they're even more into the customization than they were before. There's tons of bands, there's 
there's they have not shut down third parties from making them mm-hmm. like uh you're you're very much encouraged to have as many bands as you want they're not that expensive but you can get expensive so now ones. it's more like a swatch and less like a rolex exactly okay yep so Which are both still it's not like know. there's 10 different case colors there's black space gray they call it silver and and gold and then cheap versions of those and more expensive ah. stainless steel versions but it's not like there's 15 different face plate color designs the, really the customization yeah. comes from the software how you customize your your face the watch face mm-hmm. which they keep adding more of those mm-hmm. and then how you customize your band and that's basically it They've been really smart about which brands to associate with because if you think of kind of brand architecture and association, Apple, Nike, Hermes are all, to me, brands that that live in the same kind of world, whereas a lot of, if you look at other fashion brands, they could have connected with or partnered with because Hermes really isn't a fashion brand, but, you know, in that world. What do you mean by that? Because I... I think I don't know so, what that means, and I'm sure. So they all, though all three of those brands are built on a very specific culture, and that culture is what people buy into. Was the Hermes culture? Because I don't know anything. I I, I kind of get the Nike Hermes culture. is about quality and about um, kind of the joy of luxury. So they have a very hu- – there's a lot of humor in their communication. Hmm. They say they don't do marketing. I mean, that's debatable. But the way that they communicate their product is through joy and through um, a lot of humor and a lot of – it's very playful. Hmm. And it's also about quality, quality, quality. That's – if you are buying something from them, it's going to be extremely expensive. They say they do not. They A huge thing if you interview, I've interviewed their CEO, their global CEO many times. The biggest thing he will always say is that they do not price as a market. Like a lot of brands price things higher or lower as a marketing tool. He says they price to cost, to what it should be, it should cost. They don't change their prices if there's a lot of demand they don't hike up their prices or lower them they do pricing as you know this is how much we pay for it this is the markup that we need to do to make a profit and that's it again whether or not that's exactly true that is the way that they communicate to people and and it has held up quite a bit in terms of how people how the brand is perceived Um, and it's, so I would say all, and it's a family run company and it's very much the family runs it. And what is, what are their popular items? So their scarves. Oh, right. I'm working on a story about them right now. Their scarves are not that expensive. You can buy a scarf for a hundred or 200 bucks, but they also have scarves that are $5,000 or whatever. It depends on the size and who made them and how many there are and all of that stuff. They have – do you remember we stayed at um, that house once and we left the people whose house it was yeah. a deck of playing cards or tarot cards oh, or right. something? 
Then they have, you know, the most famous thing they sell is the Birkin bag. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, so I think it starts at like $5,500. It might even be ten grand at this So leather watch bands is not... They Their business was leather. It's a riding, so it was like saddle saddlery. Mm-hmm. So this is like... Say, this is not going to cannibalize any of their business. They really. do have a watch business. Oh, okay. And and it's not the most the best performing thing that they do. Yeah. But but they may have gotten into this because of that. They're not considered. I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't know that much about watches. But generally, there are the Swiss watchmakers who that's their expertise, and then they're the fashion or the leather goods, luxury goods brands that make watches, and those are two different kinds of businesses. And Hermes, I think, fit falls more into the fashion luxury goods and less into the Rolex or, or what yeah, have yeah. you. But their watches are really nice looking. I know that for a while it wasn't the best business for them, but this may have been a part of that. But I, I just think all three of those brands, I wrote a, a blog post like 10 years ago about this, about mm-hmm. Hermes being the apple of the luxury goods industry. Do oh, you remember, I remember this? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we've talked about it on here. I would imagine but, so. But there is really no other brand in fashion and luxury that has the same kind of brand architecture or just you know, brand value as Hermes or, or in, you know, that other part of apparel retail, Nike, you know, sport athletic wear or what have you. So it makes a lot of sense that those are the two brands that Apple decided to partner with. And I'm sure it was a, a, with, with Nike, they already had tons of, you know, Tim Cook's on their board. Yeah, exactly. But with Hermes, I'm sure it's a similar thing. But if Hermes had even – even Chanel wouldn't have made sense. Yeah. No, it seems like a perfect set. And, yeah. you know, at one point I wondered, are they now going to make these bands with eight different yeah. luxury companies? And the answer seems to be after a couple of years of this, nope, they're just going to no. do these partnerships and make their own. I think and, it's smart yep. to do it like that. But I, And you still don't see Apple Watch bands like – sold at many stores like you like yeah, you don't go into interesting to me and i, I don't know uh, i'm not sure if we're ready to transition into our next topic but you don't go into j crew and see apple watch bands Where you, the way you used to be seeing regular watch bands there or or iphone covers or iphone covers. that's why well, they used to sell iphone covers yeah they probably still do i haven't that's still I haven't a huge business in. i know for kate spade new york it's a huge business for hmm. them it's still a business, the Apple, the iPhone covers. Yeah. But that's why I, th- I thought a ton of retailers would do them. But I just don't think – do you know how many people wear – is there like a stat of how many people actually wear the Apple Watches day to day? I haven't seen one recently, but I think they sold about 15 to 20 million of them over the last year. Yeah. So there's a lot of them. It's I not do like see the iPhone, a lot of people but... wearing them. Yeah, you see, I see them all the time. Yeah, like so, it is surprising that there aren't more. But maybe Apple, maybe didn't Apple allow just it. owns that. Or, well, so it could be that to if you want Apple's approval, you might actually. I don't even know if there is like an Apple approved third party. Well, beyond the ones they make with 
Hermes and yeah. Nike. There are like, you know, totally unauthorized Apple Watch bands that you could just buy on Amazon. But whereas with the iPhone, I bought a non Apple case when we were at the Apple store. Right. The last but that time. one they probably paid Apple for the certification that's called like made for iPhone. And it's they're probably it I bet they're it's just not worth it for most brands to make to do that made for Apple Watch it's, or it's possible it there's not exists. even a program for that. Yeah. yeah, it's possible that that doesn't exist. Um which would explain because if you're J Crew you're not gonna sell like a cowboy totally knockoff Apple Watch band. You're probably gonna want to get the ones that are approved. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway um, all right, so that the that's the Apple Watch. The the big three things. New model just started taking pre-orders. Lauren doesn't know if she's getting one or not. Maybe next time we do a show, we'll have some clarity on that. Mm-hmm. And the like abrupt, maybe not abrupt. The uh, somewhat uh, somewhat sense of closure on the end of the luxury era of Apple Watch. Except for Hermes, like no more addition, no more. It's now fully in utility zone. So, question, really quick question. Yeah, you've been to enough fashion shows at this point, Mm -hmm. I think. What is more stressful? (laughs) Oh well, fashion shows are not stressful for me because I don't have to do any work at them. Although they are definitely like the there's no chaos at an Apple event. The Apple event is the most scripted organized thing you've ever seen they're they're overstaffed you are very like the people are very nice to you Mm -hmm. there's there is some hierarchy of seating and like there's a front area at the apple theater that like only vips sit in okay that's where like john ham was hanging out Mm -hmm. and kenichi nomura and people like that yeah um but it's Everything is super organized. Like there's a bit of chaos when the keynote is over and people rush to the demo pit. Yeah. But even this year, that wasn't too bad. Um, whereas a fashion show, like always starts late. Mm-hmm. People are strung out because they've been to six fashion shows that day already. Yeah. It's chaos. The seating structure is a big F you to everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> except for the fancy people who mm-hmm. are – you know, coddled. Um, but the fashion event and the fashion event lasts what? Six minutes, 12 minutes. And then it's six over. to 14 minutes. Right. Yeah. And the Apple keynote is one to two hours. Uh, it's different, but they're, they're both like highly produced. They're fun. Um, I enjoy going to all of them. I will really want to go to the Apple keynote someday. What if I have a better seat than you know, you'd be mad. Well, there's no assigned seating. Oh, really? I mean, unless you're in the VIP section. Oh, but no, the press no. also the pr- there's like a, a zone for press, and you just oh. it's first come first serve. That's nice. I had a really good seat this time. That's great. I try I try to sit in the middle toward the back because uh-huh. I'm not taking photos of the of the screen. Yeah. And I like having an aisle seat. So you, and yeah. it's also if you're in the back, it's easier to get to the demo area afterwards. Okay. And the Steve Jobs Theater, like, there's not really any bad seats in there. Like, yeah. The sound is so loud, and like, you could feel the the earth shaking as the mm-hmm. when they were playing bass. Wow, and the that's screen cool. is really good. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I would go to a concert there. 
They they should have them. Well, that's one of the interesting things this year. They had no musical guest, but they didn't really talk about music like usually they do when they talk about Apple Music or something okay. like that. Interesting. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about some other stuff now. Yeah. Let's do it. What's going on? Do you want to talk about Blue Bottle? Or why don't we through? have the Blue Bottle... Um, at the end? No, why don't we talk about that now? That'll be our segue. Okay. And then we'll talk about J. Crew. But so Blue Bottle, we talked about Blue Bottle about one or two shows ago, which was a year ago, because they had been acquired by Nestle. Oh, yeah. Uh, and since then, from from the customer standpoint, you don't really feel that at all. Like, I'm sure there's some back office nonsense that's that's either gone better or worse than expected and, like... I assume they're working on some grocery or some, you know, whatever. They already have cold brew at certain. Yeah, like they definitely, I definitely see that at more places. But the in-store is pretty much. Yeah. Like this, the, and they've been growing, but not like obnoxiously fast. No. Like there's a bunch of new ones in New York, but not like 20. No. There's probably like three or four or five. No. Yeah. But. But. It's coming. What is? The Starbucksification of how, Blue Bottle. How so? What do you so, notice? Well, I have noticed a couple things. One is that I, this probably started before. They used to have. They they had a pastry chef who I believe is one of the founder's wives or or something like that who did a lot of the early pastries and they were weird, like weird um, shortbread cookies and things like that that people don't really want. Like sound... Kind of Swedish like, Yeah, like very yeah. high-end cookies that you, you want maybe once a year if you're having a, a coffee meeting and you feel like you need to eat something to make things less awkward and it's not that sweet. Wasn't it like a cardamom cookie or something? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So they still have some of that stuff. They started to bring in more. Now they have a salted chocolate chip cookie. and the, But the other thing was that every Blue Bottle region kind of had a different menu and a different... There would be certain things that would be there across. But, you know, some Blue Bottles have affogato, but none of them in New York had affogato because they told... Didn't they tell you once they couldn't find the right ice cream supplier or something, something like, like that? that? Yeah. It's because they were always looking for very specific suppliers. And By the, the way, I finally had one. Uh-huh. Disappointing. Where did you have it at? I think in San Francisco okay. at the ferry building. Because I think the ice cream was too was frozen. Was it Humphrey Slocum or... I don't think so because the Humphrey Slocum booth is right across the street. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. It was disappointing though. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, but they always had different – in L.A., we go to this one in Echo Park. I'd say it's my favorite blue bottle of all, all the blue bottles. The people who work there are really nice. And they had a really nice food menu. They've changed it up a little bit. But now the food mem- menus are basically – uh, I'd say probably other than that one in San Francisco. Oh, the Mint Plaza? Yeah, Mint Plaza. The food menus are pretty standardized now, which is fine, whatever. It's not like I'm ordering food at Blue Bottle that much. Pretty much never. But I have had – at Mint Plaza, I get their well, food a lot. We used to get lot. breakfast almost every day yeah, when we were really staying by good. there. But um, no longer. 
But the biggest thing for me is this is going to, I mean, this it's is one of the so main, ridiculous. This is one of the main storylines that's emerged in Lauren's life over the last so year. So it's going to make me sound like an even more ridiculous person. Go for it. I'm already ridiculous that we even do this podcast. I support but, you fully. So I have, I really like almond milk. I don't like drinking. Well, how long cow ago milk. did you stop drinking dairy milk? Probably eight or nine years ago. I think it was. I, I think it was when when we stopped the. We, you stopped gluten and dairy at the same time. Yeah, but I that didn't really 20, stop dairy. Tw- early 2012. But the thing is, I never really drank a lot of milk. Okay. I I got liked soy milk for a long time and then oh, yeah. stopped drinking that. I just am not a big dairy milk person. I drank it a lot growing up, but there was just something. I think it's also the era we grew up in. There were all those hormones in the milk, and it mm. became and then the organic milk was over pasteurized, and there was like no nutrition. It's just I'm just not that into milk. I eat cheese. But I, oh yeah, I was, but I, I got, I really like the taste of almond milk, but you know, as, as you drink something, your, your palate becomes more refined and I really can't drink the milks that have a lot of sugar in them. And to be honest, I only really like homemade almond milk (laughs) or almond milk that basically tastes homemade. So we buy the kind of standard Califia unsweetened. They, they Califia used to have those like gums that are really bad for your carrageenan. Yeah, I think we've started. I think we've talked about Califia on this show before. So I maybe in a positive light. Yeah, and and the thing is, I still we have we buy the pints of the unsweetened vanilla. I use that for smoothies. If I was gonna have cereal, which I never would, but that's what I would use. But for my milk, milk for for coffee because we make coffee at home. And Lauren we have a, a very we have espresso maker. Barista in the last year, and we have a little espresso maker, and I foam my milk and all that. I want something that tastes like super nutty and basically homemade. So at home, we use this brand Three Trees, which you can buy in LA and New York, and it's really really good, and I love it. And there are a couple it's other what, ones. Like Ten dollars a bottle. Yeah, it's Small expensive, it's but it cheap. lasts two weeks basically. That's super premium stuff. Yeah, and it lasts. It lasts me two weeks, and so fine. You know, it's good. But at Blue Bottle, what they did for years was they had basically local – they would have a local supplier for their almond milk. So in L.A., they used this brand, M-Y-L-K. In New York, they used M-A-L-K, Malk, which you can buy at Whole Foods, which is also very yummy. And the thing about Blue Bottle is that was the first – light roast good coffee I ever drank in Hayes Valley in 2009 and I remember I feel like I called you or texted you or something and was like this coffee tastes so good we have to get really into like coffee like a life changing coffee experience cuz we were never big we weren't into wine now we're more into wine but we weren't into wine we weren't we'll do a show on natural, natural wine. wine yeah but we weren't into wine. We weren't like once we started dating, we basically stopped going to bars. This is getting a little too personal, but we were into cocktails, but we were just not enthusiasts about booze or so we started to get really into coffee coffee. and Stumptown came to New York around that time and it became a big thing. But blue bottle has been my favorite coffee 
Always. If there's a blue bottle, I always go to it. And so a lot of life, like life decisions, not life decisions, but a lot of like, what are we going to do today? Decisions revolve around how close there is blue bottle. Yeah. Because if, where are you going to get your second coffee? Right. You want to get it at blue bottle. And a, a big reason for that. Well, the, the probably 80% of it was the quality of the coffee, but for you, 20%, and maybe actually like 40%. I'd say 50-50. Whoa, 50-50. Well, was, no, 60-40, because okay, the coffee is so good. What, well, was, is, yeah. is, was, and 40% is the quality of the almond milk. Yeah. Where, and by the way, for me, the quality of the milk, is a big I've thing, noticed right? it more too. Like if you go to, boy, there's nothing more disappointing than when they bust out the organic, what is the, the ultra pasteurized crap? Yeah. Uh, that tastes like tastes like burnt burnt water with white paint in it. I can't stand that. And sometimes you go to La Colombe and that's what they're serving you. And you're like, why, why don't I just go to Costco and drink that out of the vat? But you go to uh, Sight Glass at the Ferry Building Farmer's Market on Tuesdays from t- uh, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the milk there will blow your mind. It's so good. It's yeah. like tastes like it's coming – straight from a cow it's like very creamy and and honestly like i i will make my coffee i will also make my coffee purchasing decision based on the quality of milk sometimes yeah and and i'd say you know i don't never drink milk i guess in paris i'll drink it because they don't have um milk substitutes anywhere well we'll find out we'll see how maybe in maybe maybe uh hot, hot milk Oh, God, I do not want that. The rapid expansion of oat milk across Europe. So I tried that. The So anyway, Blue Bottle in New York. Every once in a while, they'll have Califia Barista Blend, which is what most nice coffee shops use for almond milk, which is like a very heavily sweetened almond milk. I think it's shelf-stable too, right? And it's – yeah, it's shelf-stable and it's just – it's supposed to be creamy like real milk or whatever. And I just am at this point, I can't drink it. I – the the coffee shop across from my office, I just – I have nice almond milk in the office and I go get espresso and bring it back to the office and make myself a nice espresso because I cannot drink this Califia crap. It's just not – it just ruins the coffee experience. So Blue Bottle occasionally would have it if they had like run out of there or had some issue with their supplier. But in the last so when I came we were in LA for a couple of weeks working and then I went on my meditation retreat. And in LA they had good almond milk at, at Blue Bottle because I was working from that Blue Bottle a ton. So I get back to New York from my meditation retreat the week of August twenty seventh. And we go to Blue Bottle, and they're like, we only use a Califia now. Ah! I said, oh, why don't you have the good stuff? And they said, oh, no, we switched. We also, all, The entire company, this, this barista told me that the entire company switched. So that was at Cobble Hill 1. Then I w- tried at the Williamsburg 1. Same thing happened. And then I – oh, and then we went to the Park Slope 1 yesterday. So I – in between the barista telling me that this happened and and us going to the Park Slope one, I messaged the Blue Bottle people on Twitter and I just asked them. And they said they would not confirm that it is a um, national 
shift. I think it's in the New York market. And they're the so I don't know about San Francisco and LA. I'm really hoping that it's not national yet. But the other issue is yesterday I got it and got coffee anyway. So one of those times I got the oat milk just to see, which I don't like it at all. I think people who like the oat milk, I don't understand. It doesn't taste like anything. And they say it tastes more like real milk, but I don't think so. It's not yummy. And it actually has more sugar than the Califia almond milk, but it's natural sugar, so maybe that's why it doesn't taste even, super sweet. I don't even smell it. It doesn't. It. It's not worth it. But the problem, the bigger issue was the last two times. So yesterday I just got the Califia and I and the time before I got the oat milk. But the coffee tasted more burnt. Tasted like the roast was darker. So the thing I'm worried about more than anything is that they're roasting their coffee a bit darker. Maybe the trend is to move back towards darker roast or something. But this, I feel like this happened with another coffee shop we really liked. Oh, La Cologne. Yeah. They started roasting their coffee more. I, I don't like that coffee at all anymore. But it was super nice the first year we were going in Soho and yeah. then it just Ew, got as they expanded it got really cheesy um but the f- coffee tasted bad yeah and so yesterday at Blue Bottle I was a little worried so the thing is in Paris a lot I'll just get espresso and it's so yummy that I don't even m- miss the milk you know at 10 bells or whatever mm-hmm. and I sh- would be happy to do that at Blue Bottle but I Part of me, so I respond. I I wrote them back again yesterday and said something, but really nice because here's the thing: this is capitalism. It's gonna change. You can't be like, I want my old blue bottle. I want my yuppie localized coffee, almond milk. But you know what? The bigger issue is, blue bottle is still charging a dollar extra for almond milk. Anyone who uses Califia or another shelf-stabilized almond milk only charges 50 cents. And Blue Bottle's already, like, it ends up being six bucks, I think, for a yeah, coffee. too much. So I, the, I guess the moral of the story is that Blue Bottle is going to change. It is going to become more commodity. More McDonald's. Yeah, but, and that's okay because it has, it's going to happen I would say that we live in a different world than we did when Starbucks, you know, emerged and became de facto coffee shop. Well, and and Starbucks now is like basically a dessert and breakfast sandwich yeah. store. And the th- but what I would say is that people expect more now. Like even to be honest, actually the almond milk at Starbucks tastes better than that Califia stuff. Damn. It's fine, and it has less sugar. It only has like three grams of sugar. They also have that coconut milk, which is more sugary, but but good. And has carrageenan. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what that means. It sounds bad, though. <laughs> I think it means something. Really yeah, bad. I looked it up, and because obviously, like, if enough brands are making clear that they don't have it, then there it might must be bad. There must be something to avoid. But. I mean, regard. But the thing is, if you want to keep a certain kind of customer, you. Ha- I mean, they could just. I don't understand if you're that kind of company. Just 
build a partnership with a good supplier or make your own. Why do you have to work with, I mean, Califia is a, seems like a really nice company They're I think they're based in the arts district in LA and I'm sure there's some sort of, it seems like a quote unquote good brand. It may be owned by Nestle or another big, big one at some point. I really don't know, but brand alignment, fine. I just think if you're going to get me to go out of my way to go to Blue Bottle, you have to keep having the yummy almond milk. Right. And there's an, I think there's probably enough people who get almond milk who want it to be really good almond milk that it's worth. To be honest, I don't think most people would know. Mm. But at some point, they'll realize that they don't like the coffee as much and they won't know why and they'll stop going. And I think that's the – it's less about the weirdos like me who are seeking out $5 almond milk or whatever. Right. So where, where is your favorite almond milk or nut milk for at coffee shops these there, days? So there's not – there are really none that are national that I can think of right now or, or, or you know, chains. But Smith Canteen in – Carol Gardens, Brooklyn has almond milk, no sweetener, nothing. It's so good. It's homemade. Dimes makes really good almond milk. Um, in where do I go? Oh, the best is probably at um, Go Get 'Em Tiger, G and B in LA. So Go Get 'Em Tiger is a pretty big chain in LA, and they have a macadamia nut milk, and that's really good. A lot of places. I think Dimes is. I will second that one. That was it's pretty, so good. Wasn't there a really good one at um, Superba Bread? Yeah, Superba Bread oh, doesn't, but theirs is four dollars extra. That was two or three years ago that we were getting that. So I don't know if it's no, still, no, no. It's they still, still good. have it. I'm oh, sure okay, they still know. have it. Um, there's there was another place I actually went in L.A. and they had the MYLK milk, mm. and that's great. And I was super relieved that they had it. I just I needed a coffee so badly, and so but a lot of what about tartine, tartine, tartine uses Califia, unfortunately. Ooh. But you know what? Tartine's coffee is so good that it doesn't really matter. And that's how Blue Bottle used to be, and now. Um, not seeing that. The other, other really great Botanica in LA has really good oh, yeah, that nut one's milk. Really nice. It was um, Kate Sweden, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. which is probably a little bit sh- more sugary than I would normally do, but it's really good. It's mostly local or it's or restaurants that have coffee programs. I also go to this place in um, Soho called Doctor Smood, which is this weird vegan. Oh yeah, you sent me there. It's like a health food restaurant that definitely seems it's a chain, but it's mildly sketchy. But they have really good almond, unsweetened almond, and then sweetened cashew. So I, it's not really an issue for me, especially because I make most of my coffee at home. But I do think, I don't know. I just think people are going to start to notice that the milk that they they don't like the way their coffee tastes. And they're going to start leaving because of that. And the the fact that it's because the nut milk is no longer super yummy is only part of it. You know? Yep. So it adds up. I don't know. It's just really interesting evolution of a brand. Yeah. Because we we'll really, keep... there are very few brands that we really were on the ground floor. But we went to the first, play, first one. Yeah. 
you know, I don't know. It was probably opened in 2006 or something. Something like that. But we probably, I think I went in 2008. Although I think the first one was in Oakland. Mm, I think it was that little know. one in Hayes Valley. Could be. It might have been in Oakland, but it was, yeah. we were really there early for that Super and got early. in that stuff Before early. they even had plastic cups for ice drinks, they would give you a weird look and then make you drink it out yeah, of they were real a paper mad. cup. Um, yeah, the Hayes Valley. And I, by the way, they use different uh, different beans for different stores. I like Hayes Valley. That's my favorite, the Hayes Valley. Espresso. And also, Sight Glass I can. I think they use Califia. It doesn't bother me too much because the coffee's so good. There are a lot of really good coffee places. I'd say in San Francisco, that it doesn't matter as much. Four barrel maybe. Four ba- oh, barrel. Oh, they use really, really good, good milk at the um, at the mill. Oh yeah. Where they have the, the mill's four really good. Where they yeah. have four ba- barrel. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on the the evolution of the brand. I have to say, like, it's. I'm happy that there are blue bottles all over the place now in New York. Yeah. Yeah. But it's helpful. I don't want to see the quality drop to unacceptable levels. Yeah. And they're still really clean. Yeah. And nice. Decent bathrooms. Yeah. Good chairs. They use the Hiroshima chair by uh, uh, Naoto Fukasawa at many locations. Yep. Shout out to our friends at the Echo Park. Exactly. One. We hang out and work from there a lot when we're in LA. Lassens forever. Yeah. All right. Um... Should we talk about J. Crew now? Yeah. This is our, I think at least half of our shows we've talked about J. Crew. Well, it's funny because I was thinking we never really talk about J. Crew from my perspective. That's what it's we're going to do right now. It's always from your perspective. I think we're going to do that right now, right? Yeah. It's a little bit complicated because I report on J. Crew a lot. And tell, tell us why we're talking about them. Well, J. Crew has had quite the transformation over the last year. They are in massive, massive debt, so they had to have their debt restructured. I think it's good. They don't have to pay till 2021 now, so they have a little bit of time. But they have just relaunched the brand, and they've gone on. They had a, got a new CEO last June, and he's kind of been really, really, really quiet behind the scenes, figuring out what to do and putting his implementing his strategy. And in the last month, that strategy is kind of, I don't want to say it's been clarified because it's really complicated, but all the different moving parts of it have been laid out more partially they, they definitely by me. Like started to talk more about a new thing. Yeah. And Lauren also, Wrote a really great story about it for Business of Fashion. Yeah. Which you can read by subscribing to BOF Professional. Which you most certainly should. Which you should. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I, when I think back, so essentially what what this guy wants to do with J. Crew the brand, he the the CEO is his name is Jim Brett. He replaced Mickey Drexler, who is a merchandising le- legend, who is very well known for kind of taking talented designers and teams and making a brand cool by giving the designers runway. So he did it with he did a really great job with Ann Taylor in the eighties. He did it with Gap and Banana Republic in the nineties. He created Old Navy in the nineties, and this was all like finding cool, interesting, smart people and letting them build these brands that became, you know, became the zeitgeist. And then in, you know, the 2000s, he found this designer who was working at J. Crew when he came in 
Her name is Jenna Lyons. He realized she was really talented and he kind of gave her the opportunity to rebuild that brand and, and reimagine it. And it was, you know, a global moment and Michelle Obama wore it and, and it became kind of the uniform of young professionals, American and it, but it also was a big deal outside of the country. And she was a, a real, kind of leader in the fashion industry. It didn't matter that the clothes weren't super expensive, but you know, with every, the, what is it? The faster you rise, the faster you fall or the higher you rise, the faster you fall. And people kind of moved away from J crew at some point. There were many, many factors we don't need to get into here, but especially on the women's side, I would say. And, eventually they were, you know, athleisure, fast fashion, all these different things started discounting like crazy. The business turned, I think 2014, it just dipped and, or 2015, it started dipping. And last year they brought in the, the design teams that were in place. They all left CEO, retired. He's now the chairman of the board. They brought in a new CEO, this guy, Jim Brett. He came from West Elm, but before that he kind of cut his teeth and spent many, many years at Urban Outfitters, both at Anthropology and then at the Urban Outfitters brand. They're both owned by the same company, Urban Inc. And the way Urban operates is very different than a way a J. Crew, a mono brand like J. Crew operates. So J. Crew designs for the J Crew customer, for the J Crew girl, they have one collection a year. It's less about um, it's it's fashion. It's like a fashion brand, whereas Urban Outfitters has about ten different. You go into that store, there are ten different brands. You think that they all are are they're all owned by Urban Outfitters, but they're all these in-house labels. Then they have all these outside labels, Fila, Calvin Klein, or whatever mixed in, and it creates a much um, you can pull different levers at different times in in the fashion cycle. So say your your in-house brand doesn't have a lot of cool stuff and it's not selling well. You can buy more from an outside vendor. And so they they go does this make sense? Totally. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, essentially the CEO's been doing a lot of stuff, but the biggest thing he's been doing is creating this ecosystem within J crew. So they used to have this denim line called point sir. They've blown that out and it's now a full fledged collection. Wallace and Barnes, which was sort of a sub label at the menswear is now full fledged. They've taken jeans and they've which is like their workwear workwear. Yeah. yeah. They've taken jeans and they're making that its own brand J crew slash jean. Right. Or, there's or, like, T-shirts that are not made out of denim that are called J. Crew jeans T-shirts. Yeah. Then they have um, Mercantile, which used to be their off-price stuff and is now just their cheap, like affordable line within J. Crew stores. Yeah. They used to sell like $40 T-shirts and now they sell $15 T-shirts. Basically, they've taken all these different ideas from uh, now they're doing $89 eco jeans the way Everlane does. They, that, that slash jean thing looks a lot like the rag and bone denim line. So they've taken all these ideas and put them all together and, 
and also really de-emphasize the fashion. When and they I, got rid of the nice cashmere sweaters. Did, yeah, so they used to... A big calling card was that they worked with this mill, Laurel Piana, which is this company that's actually now owned by LVMH. But they used to get their cashmere from them, and it was a big deal. Because they could buy it in bulk, so it was still cheaper than if you bought if you buy an actual Laura Piana cashmere sweater. But they stopped working with them. Ralford was extremely mad about it. That's why he started barking. Um, hey, Ralphie. No. And and so they're, they are saying they're not getting rid of fashion altogether, but it's not going... They're, you know, one of the criti- criticisms of J. Crew during the last era was that the clothes got a little too expensive. Like there might be a seven hundred or eight hundred dollar dress. What? That's not going to happen anymore. And so, all of these things—they've been just there. There are a million things. I did this long story. And there were fifteen things. They're going to launch home. They're going to—they just launched. They hired this guy from Starbucks. They're going to start doing a loyal. They launched a loyalty program. He was a, the head of the loyalty program, all these little things. And it all adds up to a completely different business than what existed before, which was a very traditional apparel brand. And now this is the, you know, an amalgamation of all the different business models that have been working in the last few years, seeing if, you know, you put it all together in one system if you can take a brand that's been losing money, this last quarter they their um, sales were up one percent for the their comparable store sales. So stores open at least one year were up, but they, you know, they've been doing a ton of cost cutting, a ton of discounting. They're not going to stop that, and so, you know, what's left is as a consumer, do you want to shop there? And the CEO's big thing is he wants everything to look pretty. He thinks that that's what women want. What Will that sell? Is that enough to sell? Is that enough for people to be excited about J. Crew? I have no idea. All I know is that people aren't going to feel... I was never a huge J. Crew customer as a consumer. I was obsessed with it as a reporter because it was this brand that kind of took over the world, but I didn't ever shop there a ton. Like I liked the clothes, but I was never, that wasn't, I wasn't so excited to get the catalog, but you were. And I'm curious to know from your perspective, like the men's, we went into the men's store yesterday. If you felt a difference and also if you feel like you're still going to shop there. Because even though you've moved away from it, you still buy certain things there. One question I have is how – what is the proportion of men's to women's in terms of their business? You know, I don't think they break it down, but it's probably I'd, it's probably 60-40 or 70-30. So it's mostly women's. Mm, yeah. It may even be less than that. But I, I would say my guess would be 70-30. Hmm. That's crazy to me. Yeah. It seems like they put so much effort into building this men's shop sub brand and that's still a huge business. Yeah. Because J Crew is probably almost two billion a year now. All right. Well, so a couple of things. One, I haven't been the store I used to go to once a week. Yeah. I don't work over there anymore, so I haven't been there in a long time. So 
I don't have direct comparison. Like I know how that store felt. The main flagship men's store on Fifth Avenue felt like a really, really, really high quality store. Yeah. So I need to go and check out that store. I'll be over there in a couple of weeks so I can check it out. Um, the new one that they just opened in our neighborhood in Dumbo is still very new. It's also much smaller and um, they're doing this thing where they don't have inventory of a lot of things like the shoes. They mm-hmm. have a display model and then if you want to buy it, they'll drop ship it to you. Wow. Um, it's like literally every single business model that ha- or has been kind of hyped up in the last five years. Yeah. They're trying part of it. It's right. interesting. Where's the subscription? Well, the, I, I think they're going to do that. Yeah. They have a thing already called – it's it's going to – I wrote about it. It's called Style Graph, and it's essentially like Stitch Fix. Hmm. And they're using the people who work in the store as the quote-unquote stylist to come up with outfits for you and email you, email you about them, which is what Stitch Fix is essentially. Interesting. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't I so I haven't shopped there. I used to go to the store once a week and like look at the sales section, look at what's new. I don't do that anymore basically cuz I don't work next to the store anymore. Yeah. Um there's two things. So I have uh, two or three years ago they launched this new jeans selection that there's just a pair of jeans that fits me perfectly and is really comfortable and a really great value like it's it retails for I think a hundred dollars, but and this is one of their problems is that basically once a month or so you can get them for forty percent off. Yeah. So whenever they're on sale for forty percent off, I just buy a pair. Yeah. So I have I generally just switch in a new pair every six months mm-hmm. and I have two more pairs shrink wrapped waiting for me when I need to. Mm-hmm. because um, they're fifty five, sixty dollars when you buy them that way. Yeah. Which is kinda like that's pretty inexpensive for a nice Japanese denim pair of jeans. That's great. Yeah. But it seems like they're phasing that out. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, there's there's definitely change coming in the jeans department, and my size is out of stock in that style, so Ooh. I don't know. And they may, like, ditch. They've definitely uh, re- re-emphasized stretch jeans, which I'm not interested in, and... They do have the two hundred dollars selvage jeans, but they have button fl- button fly, so I'm not really yeah. into those. Um, and I'd rather buy something that's sixty percent as good for fifty for a lot less, or something that's seventy five percent as good for half the money. Um, well, also, if you were gonna buy two hundred dollar jeans, when you go somewhere, I'd go to ABC more interesting, or yeah. right, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm not I'm not really sure what's going to happen with those, but I'm a little nervous about that. And then my favorite shoes, which were the really nice New Balance collaborations they did, and this is like one of the things that I'm really I'm really not really nervous because like who cares? But I'm a little anxious about is the the collaborations were actually some of the best things they did. And I was yeah. just listening to a podcast with Todd Steiner where he I guess used to work there and launched yeah. a lot of those. Yeah. Um, and the the one of the interesting things they did for at least a couple of shoe companies is they'd get the models that were previously only for sale in Japan and yeah. bring them to America. They did that with um, 
what's the sh- the boot company we were just talking about? Red Wing. Red Wing. Mm-hmm. And they did that with some of the J. Crew, uh, new some of the New Balance shoes where, you know, I'd only ever seen this. I think it's the fourteen forty or the fourteen hundred. All suede, no patches of of mesh, like really yeah. nice to wear all fall and winter and spring. Mm-hmm. That you you'd see them on sale in Japan for like three hundred dollars. Yeah, or you could go to the I don't know. I always see them at the APC store in um, Daikinyama mm-hmm. of all places. Uh, but you could buy them at, at J Crew in the states for a hundred and forty dollars or something like yeah. that. Um, they never went on sale. They would never be part of the and they're gone? discounts. They're gone. Oh man. So they still have. I know they're not getting rid of the the, the New Balance partnership. Yeah, that's the, what the, the I new... asked the CEO about that specifically for you. Yeah, thank and you. And he said that they were not going to keep doing the the out the the gym clothes. So yeah, they, yeah, that was a really weird collaboration too. Because, but you liked it, right? Well, I really liked the shirts, but I didn't like anything else. Okay. Um, yeah, that didn't seem to work. And but both of those shirts I got for like 90% off. He did say like the shoes were going to be around. They definitely have a bunch of New Balance shoes. They just got rid of the Navy ones that oh, I man, bought. I'm sorry. Well, it's fine. I have, because uh, <laughs> when they, when they, the last year they went on sale yeah. for like half price or something. So you bought a couple. So I bought two or three pairs. Okay, good. So I have some. Great. I have one and a half pairs, I think. Okay. Um, I'm very privileged to to do that, but yeah, I I, mean, I know what I like. Anyone who's listening to this, the five people, it's not going to phase them. <laughs> no. I also, when American Apparel went out of business, ordered twelve <laughs> Triblend V-necks because no one. Hey, if you're out there and you know any Triblend V-neck that's anywhere near as good as American Apparel, please write in because I need some soon. Oh no. Um. Anyway. So I a lot of the stuff in the store feels cheaper. Yeah, like it, it, that's definitely true. Yeah, um, and it feels more. I forgot. Maybe we were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Like that men's shop on Fifth Avenue feels like a one-off store. Yeah, in a really really high-end, classy way. Mm-hmm. And like I wish there was a, a coffee shop or a bar there. I would have just hung out there. Um, if you go to a J. Crew in a mall in some other city, or even in New York's malls, like if you go to the one in Columbus Circle yeah. and this new one in Dumbo, it feels kind of like a mall store. Yeah. It feel, does not feel special at all. No. Feels, even though this one in New York, they're try, this one in Dumbo, they're trying so hard. There's a barber shop in it. Yeah. There's, you know, it's in a new mall-y type thing. It, it feels like a mall store. Yeah. It's very, like there's not a lot of room. There's no, there's no like nice sitting area. Um, there's no one-off weird fixtures. It doesn't feel like a cool store. It doesn't feel anything like a Sid Mashburn or, mm. um, you know, I don't know what other. I don't really like a lot of men's stores, but well, I don't know where I even where I even You're go. Union Made. Union Made in San Francisco is really the only one now that that I go to with any regularity, which is silly because I don't even live there. Um, it just doesn't feel special. So, uh, may, and maybe that is fine. Maybe it's better to have consistency and, and hopefully like they will figure out the, the right blend of, uh, pricing and, and like quality. And I say quality in terms of product, but also style. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went to the opening party in there, and and the guy, you know, I don't know, it was 
there with the dog and we were just kind of taking a peek. But like one of the salesperson, one of the sales guys like really explained to me, he's like, no, we're doing this with the suits. We're doing this with the shirts. We're getting rid of all these things that didn't make sense. We're doing this with the jeans. And it, it sounded right. Like it sounded like these are the right decisions, but I don't know. We went in the store yesterday and I, I always liked Wallace and Barnes. I've only ever bought one Wallace and Barnes item because they were actually very expensive and were a little too weird for me. Mm -hmm. Um, except that's that plaid shirt I have. Yeah. The stuff we saw yesterday was like, I would buy multiple of those. Yeah, like, it's interesting. I actually really like the Point Sir, the the brand that they've kind of blown up within J. Crew Women's. Yeah. I think they're doing a good job with it. And maybe because we're off the mainstream mall shopping circuit, like maybe that's the stuff that will appeal more to us. You always seem to like uh, Madewell more than J. Crew. Yeah. yeah. Which is I, another yes. side brand of theirs that they're going to be. And expanding. they just launched men's yeah. and made well. Where is that? Can I see that somewhere? Yeah, they have a pop-up shop and online, but the jeans, you won't like them. They're all mm. – the jeans are all stretch, and they're very narrow. Oh. But it's oh. for a different customer. I it's know. not for you. Oh, right. And the guy in the store was like, oh, we're also launching skinny jeans because yeah. all these European tourists come in and want to know where, where the fuck the skinny jeans yeah, are. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, so, and that's the thing. Like, Madewell is very French girl cool. Yeah. And I think they're trying to appeal to, you know, a younger or more, more, um, she, she, like, chic, you yeah. know, Whereas French I'm, guy. I've gone full Scandinavian, obnoxious Denmark guy. Yeah. So. Maybe yeah. maybe we're not going to align for a while. Like I don't wear preppy clothes right now. I'm not buying the suits that I'm buying are weird Barina Italian stuff. Like yeah. I'm not in a, an American mall brand fashion period of my life right now. No. So well, I think that's I think that's gone and, and you've said goodbye to that life. Yeah. So I don't know if. I, I don't know if my opinion matters for J. Crew. Frankly. I don't think as a consumer my opinion matters. Yeah. But what I will say as a person who is analyzing it, all the things that they're putting in place are the they sound, as you said, like common sense. They are all very sensible things. The problem with that is that there are a lot of companies that do that. There are Gap, there is Ann Taylor, there is Banner, Banner Republic. They have to be style-wise better than those brands. And that is, you know, the it's a different model, but it is, you know, it's just tough. It's really tough when there's Everlane and there's Theory totally. and there's all these other Entire companies. Entire world. There's, you know, it's just tough. I interviewed the the chief design officer, and she's really interested in building out their where to work stuff. But and that's great because there are women who need to wear suits, and there are very few options for like a good quality suit if you're a lawyer and you're a woman. However, most people do not. Most people wear the same thing that to work that they wear on the weekends, or you know, a slightly elevated version, and it may not matter. It will not be – It there is 
what I am not convinced of is that it will be able to be like a part of the culture in the way J. Crew has been for the last 10 years. Right. And and for men's, like a big part of it was that silly gingham shirt, which yeah. like for- was cool and then was was not cool at all. And now like. I don't know if they still sell it, but I think they do. And like for women's, it was those bubble necklaces, and they have this number two pencil skirt. Yeah, I remember my boss when we worked together ten years ago. She had it in five colors. Right. It was great, yeah. and they still sell it, and that's fine. But it's not. I don't know. They just launched a new campaign with a whole new point of view, different sort of photography, different sort of just attitude. And, and you, you know, maybe that will appeal to a lot of people. The, the re- business reporter in me thinks that it's very sensible. The fashion critic in me is a little sad. Yeah. And that's and what I would me, say. Like the, the person like, and again, this is probably does not fit into the scaling aspect of this at all, but the person who really enjoyed the one-off nature of that flagship men's store who, I also, by the way, spent a couple hundred bucks a year on cashmere sweaters there yeah. on the nice ones. And yeah. now – Hey, Ralfred. Hey, Ralphie. No. no barking, please. And now like their quote-unquote everyday cashmere, while like that may be really successful for them. I'm not sure. We'll see. But like if I look I'm at that and I, and I feel Uniqlo. it, it's the same kind of mediocre cashmere as Uniqlo and Everlane. Yeah. And then I'm going to go to the one that has the best color and, and style which selection. Which is probably Everlane. Which it, might be – like last year was Everlane. So uh, good – and then we should probably wrap up soon. But good example of this is, you know, I've been doing this for how long? For 13 years? No. I We moved here in 06. 05. 05. Coming so up on 13. 13 years, I have disturbing taste in terms of what I'm willing to spend money on, but I spend on really expensive stuff or really cheap stuff. I'm not going to spend $200 on a t-shirt. I'm going to spend, you know, that, that actually that's a bad example, but you know what I mean? Like I want, I want to buy three really nice things a season and then I'll supplement with some stuff from Uniqlo or Everlane sometimes, but mostly Uniqlo and mostly La Mer for Uniqlo. And the, we went there on on Friday night. I got a, a dress. I got two blouses, two pairs of jeans, and this jacket, this like workwear jacket that I've wanted something like that forever for 250 bucks. Why would I go anywhere else? It's like good quality stuff. I mean, it's kind of cheap. This but is La Mer for Uniqlo? Yeah. Yeah. But that's it's only just, a couple times a year, right? Or yeah, year. and then most people are going to go to that. But yeah. also Uniqlo in general is fine. Yeah. It's, it's fine. just if you were going to – if if price is what's driving you, there's just a lot of options. It's, it's going to be hard for you them You have to have to, a specific style. to. You need to make those people think – Oh my God, this is my store. I have to buy everything at this store. And that is, Everlane has done a good job of that. You know? And now Uniqlo has a functional website. So, yeah. Look out. And Uniqlo still has a lot of problems with communicating to a Western consumer. But this was the first time I've bought a lot from that collection because La Mer is one of my favorite fashion brands. And I buy a lot of their stuff from at the high end. But also, 
I've gone in and it hasn't been a good fit this season. It was a really good fit. Like the jeans fit perfectly. Everything looked nice. And it's so much better than most. I don't know. You just have to make, even if you're, you're preaching to the masses and you're marketing to the masses, you have to make the masses feel like you've made it specifically for each of them. And whether or not the new J crew can pull that off remains to be seen. All right. We're going to keep an eye on it. I mean, what else would we talk about? Exactly. We'll be back in a year. <laughs> this was fun. Actually, maybe we'll be back sooner, but we're hey, not we going to make any promises. We have to do our Thanksgiving one, though. Yeah, we didn't even do that last year. We didn't? No. I think we set it up and then we didn't do it. Very possible. Okay. All right. Anyway, this has been The Needle and the Mouse, episode 47 or something like that. Um, the fashion of technology and the technology of fashion. Uh, please send us questions or comments <laughs> for a future episode. <laughs> I think our email still works. Hello at the needle and the mouse dot com. How would we? Where does that? Does that get forwarded? It to goes our... to both okay. of us. Yeah. Uh, we're on Twitter at needle and mouse. Or Lauren is La Premie D, and I'm at From Dome. You can find us there twenty four seven. Again, email hello at the needle and the mouse dot com. We'll try to do the show more. Uh, if old episodes are available, it's because I upgraded our SoundCloud. <laughs> they might not be. Um, and as always, our theme music was written and performed by Alan Lawrence in Chiba Prefecture. Thank Love you, you Alan. Al. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. <laughs>